0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, here we are already at the third week, third Sunday of Easter. And again, we continue to celebrate uh, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's an important reminder, I think, for us each week to, to remember that Easter is also a season, right? I, I notice oftentimes on social media, a few days after Christmas, there's people that start talking about, remember everyone, Christmas is a season and not a day, and I often think, yeah, it is, but there's these other seasons that no one tends to make a big deal about. I don't, I don't know why we do that, but Easter's a, a season. It's 50 days long, and we, we end it with Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and so we continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and so today, from the Gospel of Luke, we have a little overlap with last week's Gospel, which Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room and, and offered his word of peace to them. And we, we talked about that last week, but things that our text didn't say last week say this week, that, that they, were, they were startled and afraid when Jesus appeared to them. That even though they had been the recipients of this teaching from Jesus, although he had told them on many occasions that he would go to his death, but rise again in three days, and in spite of that they were startled and maybe not just because that he resurrected as he said, they maybe were just simply startled because he showed up in the middle of them. That would be startling in and of itself, but they were startled and frightened and the, the interesting thing is, as Luke tells us tonight, that they, thought they saw, that they thought he was a spirit, which seems to indicate that they hadn't completely internalized Jesus' message about his resurrection being a bodily resurrection. And again, for those disciples in that room who had seen Lazarus come back from the dead, certainly this couldn't have been too big of a surprise, right? It's not not a stretch to think like, well, could Jesus come back in a body? Because, you know, we did see him bring Lazarus back from the dead. Seems like if he could bring someone back from the dead, he himself can come back from the dead, embodied, right? And so they're startled and frightened, and they think they saw a spirit, and Jesus immediately says to them, it's a form of a question here, but why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, the first thing, why are you troubled? Again, like, don't be troubled. You know, I, I know I just showed up in the middle of you, but don't be troubled. It's me, Jesus, right? But he immediately gets to the heart of the issue. Why do, adu- why do doubts arise in your hearts? And notice, before they could say anything, Jesus is reading their hearts. He's understanding where they're at, right? This isn't, this isn't an intellectual issue. This isn't, uh, we're still in shock about his death necessarily. Jesus casts this as a heart issue, as a heart matter, that in their hearts they're struggling to think of how Jesus could rise from the dead and be embodied. And so Jesus does two things to emphasize his, that his resurrection is an embodied resurrection, that he is literally standing there in his resurrected body. See my hands and my feet, he says. Touch me and see I mean, I've been trying to do my best like you to stay in the Easter mindset because with, the, with this new switch in our academic calendar at Biola, life is so busy, so busy these days that it's, it's hard to keep focusing on the resurrection. But, but Jesus, you know, see my hands and my feet and touch me and see. And I mean, you often think like how amazing it would have been to simply walk with Jesus for those three years, right? To have had that experience, to be taught, by the incarnate Son of God Himself. But, but this week I was thinking like, no, I would actually trade this moment for those three years. Not that anyone's giving me the option to do that, but right, I mean, like, but imagine Jesus saying, like, the resurrected Jesus saying, no, like, see my hands and my feet, touch me and see. The invitation is there, reach out, touch me, because a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. No, this will be me if you touch me. And, and the implication is, is that the text says he showed them his hands and his feet, but I imagine they did in fact reach out and touch him. Right? They, they did satisfy their doubting hearts and their curiosity. They reached out and they touched Jesus and they realized that he was flesh and he was bone. Right? Their hands didn't go through him like they may have thought would happen. Instead, it stopped as they touched him and of course, we know from other gospel accounts that Thomas went so far as to touch the wounds, right? to put his, his hands in the wounds and to, to have that intimate experience of the resurrected Jesus. And so maybe that happened here, maybe the disciples, but I could imagine the kind of ripple that would have gone through the room of the excitement of the reality of what was happening there, that this was Jesus. This was their master. This was their rabbi. This was the resurrected son of God. But beyond that, Jesus does this other thing that's so interesting to me, and I don't know as the reader of hearts if Jesus is still sensing that there's some doubt in their hearts, that, that even though maybe they've touched him, there's one or two or more of the disciples are thinking, yeah, okay, like we reached out and touched him, but maybe this is something else yet. Maybe this is still something that's not completely Jesus, and so he says to them, do you have anything to eat? Now, I'm also willing to entertain the fact that maybe Jesus just was hungry, right? Like, like maybe there was no doubt in their hearts, and he asked for some food because he's simply hungry, right? But in any case, imagine that maybe there is doubt in their hearts. So he says, you know what? Do you have anything to eat? And they say yes, and he took it, and he ate before them, right? He does that thing that's so quintessentially human to eat, right? He shows them that he he eats this fish, that he ingests this fish, that it, it, it stays there, that, it, you know, it disappears, that he's actually eating. He's really present to them. And so at this moment, I imagine that they would get it, right? Any doubt in their hearts would be dispelled because both they've touched Jesus, they've seen him do something so human as eating, and there he is standing in the midst of them. What a, what a great moment, I mean, to talk about the tumultuous days of their life at that point, right? They, they talk about some of the greatest stressors in life were moving, job changes, and the birth of children, right? But I, I'm going to think, like, in the grand scheme of things, Jesus' death and waiting for his resurrection must have been a stressful event for the disciples, right? They, they must have wondered, what have we gotten into? What is happening? And imagine they talked about what he said, but yet there's doubt, and Jesus sees that when they come in the room, and so he, he says, touch me and let me eat in front of you. But then he switches, or at least Luke decides to record that Jesus kind of switches gears here. He doesn't doesn't stay in this mode of trying to prove anything to them. And again, that makes me think that Luke is basically saying the doubt has left their hearts. So Jesus then says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Right, almost of like, okay, now that we've established the fact that I'm the resurrected, embodied son of God, let's go back to the teaching of the Old Testament. Let's go back to the three years of ministry among you. And I was teaching you these things, right? That Moses talked about me, the prophets, the Psalms, that's everything, by the way. Right? That's all shorthand for the entire Old Testament writings talk about me. But then verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And Then as he did that, he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So Jesus opens their minds to understand the things that they had already been hearing from him and the things that they likely knew from just being um, Jews in the first century, from just simply being alive and listening to the teachers of the law, right? Going to the temple. That's, they, they did the normal things after the resurrection. They continued to go to the temple. So these were, these were men who were, maybe women who were experienced in hearing the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Right? But Jesus opened their minds to understand it. And I've been wrestling with this this week of having our minds open to understand the scriptures. Now, one of the things I love about being an Anglican and that, that helped me become an Anglican was the preaching of the word was not the central event. Now, in one sense, this is the central event for the part of the liturgy called the liturgy of the word. Right? And then you could think, and the next half, we have a different central event, which is the table, the Eucharist. But I don't want to think about it like that. I haven't thought about it like that. In other words, the point is, and I'm not being critical here, I'm just being observational, that when I rarely preached as a Baptist minister, right, because I was always like the second person on the staff, when I, when I got those opportunities to preach, it was like I had to pick a passage. I had to think about what to preach. I had to, to prepare a 40, 45-minute sermon. I didn't preach often enough to be good at that. I wasn't good at delivering a sermon. I still might not be great, but I was worse then, right? But all of a sudden, like, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. It's just 45 minutes, and it's the main thing that people are coming for. No pressure, right? Right, so I've always thought, no, what I love about being an Anglican is we have a lectionary that guides us. I don't have to determine which text I'm going to use each Sunday. Second, I've said this before from the pulpit, we have the creed right after this. So if I'm wrong, it's okay. We will confess true things soon enough, right? Right. If you disagree with me, it's okay. We will say true things in just a few minutes here, right? But I also have the opportunity to, and the privilege to stand here and to try to say something about these texts each Sunday, and it is a privilege. But I often think, like, God, I need you to open my mind. What do you want me to say, right, on my own, no matter what abilities I have, no matter how much access I have to commentaries and to the wisdom of the tradition, at the end of the day, I still want God opening my mind to the scriptures. And so I'm encouraged by this passage because although I don't doubt Jesus' resurrection, I don't think there's doubt in my heart, that I trust that what Jesus did for these disciples, he continues to do for us, is that he opens our minds to understand the scriptures. The big fancy theological word is the perspicuity of the scriptures. Anyone, can understand them. Anyone can understand them. That's the point. God inspired them to be understood. Right? I am not the person who dispenses biblical knowledge to you. You can take up the Bible and read it for yourself. And I trust that you do. And Anglicanism encourages it. Here's a daily office meant for everyone. Read the Bible, right? It's all kinds of scripture in the daily office. Our liturgy is riddled with scripture. We believe that scripture is for everyone. That's because we believe that everyone can understand it, but yet we need to fall back on the truth that it's Jesus who opens our minds to these things. And I desperately want Jesus to open my mind. I want God, I want his Holy Spirit to be in me in such a way that I don't try to domesticate the scriptures, that I don't try to make them manageable, that I don't try to make them fit my life and what I want them to say. And I know every pastor will say that. right? None of us want to think we're preaching our thing. But our goal is to have our minds open to the truth of these things, right? To the law of Moses, the prophet, the Psalms, and now the New Testament, the Gospels and the epistles. We we want God to fill our minds with the truth of his word. We want him to do his work. Why? So that we too, like these disciples, can be witnesses of these things. Now, we weren't there. We weren't visual eyewitnesses to these events right? But yet here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and we are a kind of witness to them. Martyrs in particular are a kind of witness to the truth of the word of God. They die for their faith, but we're all martyrs in the sense that we're all witnesses. That's what the word here in verse 48 is. It's martyrs. We witness these things. We testify about these things. We speak true things about these things. And then our reading from Acts tonight Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. By the time we go over to Acts chapter 3 with Peter preaching, he says, we are witnesses of these things. They took this lesson. Their their minds were open. They they saw the truth of the resurrection. They saw the truth of the scripture pointing to Jesus. And, And Peter in Acts chapter 3 preaches an amazing sermon so that people can come to know this faith. And he says, we are the witnesses of these things. Now, he meant that literally. He was there. He saw it. But for us, we know it, we, we too see it, because we have the opportunity to understand the scriptures. But even more so, even more so, this passage from Luke this week caught my attention because it seems so sacramental. They touched Jesus, and it dawned on me this week that, that's right, I do too. <laughs> if I believe that Christ makes himself present in the bread and the wine, then I touch Jesus. Matter of fact, I touch him more than you do, to be truthful about it, as the priest, right? But I, I too, touch Jesus. I, too, get to experience Jesus every week with my eyes and my hands and my my mouth. I get to touch him and I get to see him. And in the way in which he ate this fish to prove um, that he was embodied, we get to eat him by way of the Eucharist. And as we do that, as his incarnation makes that possible, right? There would be no Eucharist if it wasn't for the incarnation. As as Jesus' incarnation makes it possible for those disciples in that room to see and touch him, he makes it possible for us through the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist to see and touch him every week. And as we do that, we become his witnesses, but that reception of his body and blood prepares us to have our minds opened to the truth of God's word. The grace that we receive in the sacrament of the Eucharist makes us able to understand what God is telling us in his word, what God is telling us through his Holy Spirit. It prepares us to be his witnesses. Therefore, if I do not eat of the Eucharist, I am not ready to have my mind open. And if I cannot have my mind open to the truth of these things, I am not an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And now you're starting to see the real reason I became an Anglican. Not just for shorter sermons, but because my theology was such that I knew that in this reception of the bread and the wine, that Jesus had to be present there. The scriptures convinced me of that. That one thing God did for me, I think, was he opened my mind to see the sacramental nature of what the Eucharist is. But this week, I think in this text, he is showing us, right, and the great thing is, is this is just an isolated text, but he's, he's had his Emmaus Road experience. Man, how cool would it be to talk about that, right? That he made himself known to these men that he had walked with, that he broke bread with them, he gave thanks, he made Eucharist with them, and their eyes were opened, and they knew that it was Jesus. And now here's a promise that our minds can be opened to understand the scriptures, to understand who Jesus is. Because in understanding the scriptures, it points to Jesus. That's the point of the scriptures right? They point to Jesus. They are going somewhere. They are telling a story. No matter where we jump into that story, when we read the word of God, that is a story that is along the way. We are jumping in midstream, and that stream is taking us where? To Jesus. And even if we think of that eschatologically, the consummation of all things, where is it taking us? Jesus. When we will join him and see him as he is face to face, and we will no longer see dimly as in a mirror, but we will know who he is, and we will see him with our eyes. That's the point of the scriptures. It doesn't matter what you know about the scriptures if you don't know Jesus. It doesn't matter what you know about the scriptures if those things aren't pointing you to the person of the Messiah. So when we come to the word of God, it's not just about what preparation have I had, what classes have I taken, can I read Greek, can I read Hebrew, whatever, it is not about that as helpful of all of that is. The best preparation for reading and understanding the scriptures is not academic study, though again, that's good, of course, you're going to expect me to say that, but it's because God has made himself available to us in a way that helps us to understand these words in this book that we call the Bible. Right? Our baptism prepares us to bring us into the church. Our reception of the Eucharist as baptized Christians um, gives us the ability to be changed by the grace that we receive thereby so that when we come to the word, we are fully prepared. That is amazing. What these disciples experienced in that room on that day, we experience today. And by seeing the resurrected Jesus, by touching him with our hands, by tasting him with our mouth and the bread and the wine, we are then having our minds open and becoming the witnesses that God wants us to be. matter of fact, I would say not just the witnesses that God wants us to be, that if we're doing this properly that we will simply become witnesses. The Eucharist does what it intends to do, and that is to give you grace. And even though we try to resist it, at the end, we cannot resist it fully. The sacrament changes us. It opens our minds to the truth of these things. It it opens our minds to understand Jesus more and more. And then we become witnesses. And then, of course, if we read further or think about Acts, right, the way in which Luke and Acts are yoked together, even here we have this so that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Of course, that probably echoes in our mind, Acts 1.8, and from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the other almost ends of the earth, right? It goes out. That's the witnesses we're meant to be. That's what it means to be a witness. So you are witnesses of these things, Jesus tells them. And then in Acts, Peter knows as he's preaching that we are witnesses of these things. So as we continue through this Easter season, let us continue to be eager to meet the resurrected Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, and then in his word. Let us be eager to receive so that the grace that God gives us will do its work in us, open our minds to understand the text of scripture, but ultimately to keep understanding who Jesus is so that we can be faithful and effective witnesses for him. The final thing I'll say, we can put up all kinds of roadblocks to this. Our sin choices, our sin patterns, our stubbornness, right? our vice can put a wall up, and we can resist these things. But I'm convinced that Jesus will just keep chipping away at it. You know why? Because in Acts chapter 3, that man who denied Jesus three times preaches a sermon that brings thousands of people into the church. You think you're going to resist Jesus better than Peter? You're probably wrong. God is going to get a hold of your life and he's going to do it by way of his grace. He's going to open your mind. You're going to know he is and we're going to be faithful witnesses. So let us continue this Easter season to let God do the work that he wants to do in us sacramentally by way of the bread and the wine. And as we realize he's doing that work and we come to understand who he is, let us go out and be faithful witnesses because we are witnesses of these things. So let us go and share the truth of that word. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.